Amen. That was a real pretty hymn. And um, that fellow Bernard, I've done a little reading about him. Um, he really seemed to be a, a man that loved God, born again. Um, he was uh, involved with uh, that uh, monkery, monking around. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, he uh, seemed like genuine born again man. Well, I see our sister Dawn is back. Welcome home, Dawn, from Malaysia. The uh, sound booth uh, guys, in fact, maybe it was Deviant here, was telling me someone's watching us from Malaysia. Now, who do we know? Why, it's our sister Dawn. So we prayed for you, so welcome home. Let's take our Bibles tonight, and we're going to open up to the book of Hebrews. Does anyone know what chapter we're in? 13, right you are. <laughs> 13. So let me see now. What month is it? It's August, isn't it? So this is the eighth month. So I think we've been one year and eight months working on the book of Hebrews. How about that? Yeah, and we're not done yet. Now, it's been said that uh, chapter 11, you all know chapter 11, all about faith, right? They call it the faith chapter. Chapter 12 is known as the hope chapter. Chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. Uh, it's also been said that chapter 11 has been called the, uh, the chapter of power. Chapter 12 is called the chapter of progress, and chapter 13, the chapter of practice. Well, any way you want to look at it, it's the last chapter, folks, the final chapter in this book, and it's the home stretch, and the finish line is in sight. And uh, now Paul gives us uh, what appears to be four admonitions, each one dealing with being careful. And we're going to look at the first admonition tonight being careful to maintain Christian love. So we're going to look at that tonight. Let's begin with prayer. Once again, our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you and we humbly ask, Lord, that you would teach us. Holy Spirit of God, please be the teacher and the preacher to our hearts tonight. Help us to love this book more than ever before and to love the author of this book with all our heart and mind and soul and being. And we pray that you would lead and guide now in our little study tonight and make the applications, Lord, as you see fit. Be thou glorified, exalted in our hearts tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's be careful to maintain Christian love. Chapter 13, verse 1. It's a short verse. Read it out loud with me. Let brotherly love continue. There you go. Now, that uh, is easier said than done. And I think that it's an admonition we need to hear every once in a while. And Paul certainly makes it his first of the final four admonitions in this uh, book here, in this chapter. Um, we are to make a conscious effort to uh, let and allow our Christian love to continue. Why? Because the devil's going to try and stop it. He is not out of business yet. The devil is still as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And he knows that for us believers to show forth Christ's love is not good for him. Is kind of counterproductive, if you will, for his purposes and his kingdom. So he's going to try and stop this. Say, how will the devil stop us from letting our Christian love continue, brotherly love continue? How is he going to stop us? A couple of ways. One way, I think, is that he'll make us so busy. He'll get us uh, often so busy in life that we forget to be loving. We do live in a very fast-paced world, and we uh, get up, and everything is by the clock, right? We've got to get up at a certain time. We've got to get out the door at a certain time. We've got to get to work at a certain time. We take our lunch and our breaks at a certain time. You know, then the, the whistle blows, and we leave at a certain time. We've got to get in the car and get on the freeway at a certain time in order to get home at a certain time so that we could have supper at a certain time and then do whatever family things for a little time and then get to bed at a certain time so that we can repeat this nonsense all over again the very next day. And that's the, the life we live. And that's just life. That's what we're used to. That's what we do. But it gets kind of madcap. 
And uh, sometimes uh, people get very uh, dizzy from this merry-go-round and they say, stop the world, I want to get off. Or at least take a vacation. And so this crazy busyness will be used of the devil to stop our Christian love. And the admonition here begins with, let brotherly love continue. Now, um, there's another way that the devil will use. I mean, that would be plan A. Let's call that plan A. And if that fails, then there's plan B. And plan B is a dead ringer. Man, it hits us. And it's called offenses, where we show our Christian love and we get offended. And when that happens, the train comes to a stop, folks. That Christian love all of a sudden doesn't take another step the way it's supposed to. Please keep your finger there in Hebrews 13. I'd like you to turn back to the Gospel of John. Would you do that with me, please? Gospel of John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. Chapter 13 and find verse 35. And I'd like to ask your help in reading this. John 13, 35, read it out loud with me, please. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Um, the world treats us rotten. Sometimes we, we meet one another and sometimes we'll say, hey, how's life treating you? Well, life, you know, this world, it treats us rotten. But in God's family, we're treated pretty good. Um, at least we're supposed to be. If ever you uh, should feel loved and cared for, it's with God's people. When you get together with God's people, it ought to be, ah, home at last. They say that home is where you're treated the best and where you complain the most. So often that's the case, isn't it? But in the family of God, you know, when we get together, it ought to be brother and sister. It ought to be a, a family where God is our Father. And uh, we get together to, uh, to bless one another and to look to the Lord and worship Him and feel uh, that we're getting something from heaven to encourage us and help us along. Uh, and that's the way it ought to be. Um, and so this is why I say, if you go back to chapter 13, verse 1, uh, that Paul put this right up front. Boom, right first thing. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. And uh, again, sometimes it's easier said than done. You need to examine your heart and ask yourself this question. Am I actively, right now, presently, letting brotherly love continue? Am I caring for, for brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, or has it been short-circuited? Has the devil kind of derailed it or stopped it because I'm so busy that I just forget? I get in, do what I got to do, get out. Or has there been some offense? So then we come to verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Now that's an interesting verse and it sure holds my attention, I tell you. The word entertain basically speaks of hospitality. Hospitality. Did you know that there are numerous uh, universities and colleges that offer um, degrees in hospitality? Did you know that? Hospitality. I was talking with a man just a couple of days ago, and he went and uh, took some, uh, I think it was in Ontario, could have been in London, Ontario, I'm not sure, I think it was, and he took some uh, extensive courses in hospitality. He graduated, went and got a, a job with a nice hotel and in the hospitality. That's what hotels are in the business for. They provide you a hospitable place to uh, stay for the night and all the amenities and so on. And he learned a lot of the ins and outs and all what's involved in hospitality. You know, sometimes we could learn a lesson or two from the way that others do it. Um, when you uh, go and visit in someone's house, it's a good idea to try and learn something from how they show hospitality, something that you can learn and try and apply in your own home. 
I know that uh, as a church, we try to be hospitable, and I've tried to uh, pick up little tips from other churches and uh, anywhere I can learn them, actually, and try and see if I can get some of those um, uh, installed here at the church. But the idea is hospitality. In other words, what we're talking about here when it says be not forgetful to entertain strangers is be a hospitable kind of person. That's very important. Now, this first admonition about being careful to maintain Christian love, I think you'll agree that it's an act of Christian love to be hospitable a person, particularly towards strangers. Now, the basic meaning of the word stranger is foreigner. That's what the basic meaning of the word is, is foreigner. And the Jews often thought of the Gentiles as strangers. If you look, you don't have to look, but if you were to look in Ephesians 2, Paul talks to the Ephesian Christians. Now remember, they were Gentiles that got saved. And he reminds them at one time they were strangers from the covenants of promise. And so he makes an application there. But listen, regardless of who they are, we're to be hospitable toward them. And this is the point I want to get at here. It's easy to be hospitable to people you know. When we get together, oh, I know this man, I know this lady. We extend our hand, we shake them. How are you? How was your day? And um, is there anything I can get for you? But now if it's a stranger, a foreigner, someone we haven't seen before, then all of a sudden we're not quite so you know, Johnny on the spot, right? For some reason, our hospitality seems to go down the drain and we just kind of stare at them. Well, maybe someone else will go shake their hand. Maybe someone else will welcome them in. That's the sad story in many churches that people can go in for the first time and they look around and everyone is there talking in their groups and so on. And so they go in, they sit down and the service starts and they sing and they hear the preaching and... uh, Service is over, they get up, they kind of linger a bit, people are in their groups, and they walk all the way to the front door, and they get in their car, and they're gone. That they can come into a church that's supposed to be Christ's house, (laughs) they can get in for an hour, hour and a half, whatever, two hours, and get out, and no one approaches them. We're to be hospitable. Hospitable particularly here to strangers. Um... To be hospitable to people we know is pretty common, pretty normal. But to be hospitable to strangers is Christ-like. Let's go back to John. Sorry, I should have had you stay there. John chapter 4 this time. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and it's a familiar story. The woman at the well. I think we all know that story. And so the disciples are gone into town and Jesus is sitting at the well and this woman comes by. And verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so that's why I think that to be hospitable to strangers is Christ-like. Because that's exactly what we see here, isn't it? The Jews and the Samaritans, really, they were at odds with each other. They, they kind of didn't like each other. Now this lady, she had spiritual needs, and Christ met those needs, and she got saved. Now, what are we talking about, being hospitable kind of person? Well, let's give some practical examples. Um, how about being hospitable at, at home, meaning uh, not so much with your family, but when there's a knock on the door? And first question is, who could that be? And the second question, what do they want? And so then you go to the door. Typical two first questions, right? You know, who are you? What do you want? Of course, we're not rude like that. We wouldn't do that. We'd say, may I help you? That's a nice way of, of saying, who are you? What do you want? Um, we had some, uh, some people come to the, uh, the church here to get something. I'd never met them before, but I suspected they were the ones I was looking for. And so they got out of their vehicle and they started walking the wrong way. I ran out the front door and I said, can I help you? <laughs> but that, that was not, who are you? What do you want? That was... Really, could I help you, is what that was. Anyhow, being hospitable at the home when someone comes to the door. Now, that doesn't mean you have to let them into your home. 
Being hospitable doesn't mean that you've got to invite them in and set them at the dinner table and feed them. That's not necessarily uh, what it means, although if you feel so led to do, then do it. But at least at the door, be hospitable with people. Um, sometimes, you know, you know, they're at the keyhole. Who's out there? <laughs> well, what do you want with me? What have I done? <laughs> sometimes people hide behind their doors, right? And it doesn't seem very hospitable to answer a door that way. So uh, I think we need to uh, think of that when we're at our home, when we're at the supermarket or in any kind of store. How about holding the door for someone? Uh, now, you don't necessarily have to hold the door like this and let them walk through, although that's being hospitable. But as you're walking in, you notice they're coming behind you. Why don't you just linger for two seconds and hold the door? Often people will, will thank you for that. Say, well, what if they don't thank me? Then I get offended. Yeah, I know. The, the devil does that. And he tries to offend you so that you won't show Christian love to anyone ever again. That's, that's those offenses. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But uh, how about this? While you're in the supermarket and you've got your basket of goodies, and you're at the checkout, and there's someone standing behind you with one item. How about letting them go in front of you? That's happened to me a couple of times, and boy, do I ever appreciate it. And I'm sure that would be a great uh, little Christian witness as well, because others will see that, see that you do that. Uh, how about being a, a hospitable kind of person when you're walking in your neighborhood, and uh, as you're walking and someone else is walking towards you, you know that kind of awkward feeling, oh, I don't know this person, and you kind of look down and you look away and, and finally, you know, they look at you and you sort of look at them and maybe it's a nervous little grin or a nod and past you go. But why can't you do the horns? Why can't you just uh, uh, say to them, good morning, uh, plan what you're going to say in advance or good afternoon or um, hello, how are you? Something like that. Just being hospitable as you pass a stranger when you're out for a walk. That's being a hospitable kind of person. And if you have uh, someone from your family with you, they'll notice that and they'll admire that and it might teach them something as well. How about when you're driving down the road and you see that someone's in distress, their car is broken down and rather than just kind of pass and step on the gas, you might want to offer some help. Or if you're not sure, you're nervous, you could always uh, offer to call a tow truck for them. Like there's hospitality that you can show right there. How about when you're in a restaurant and giving a nice tip to the waitress? Uh, sometimes in Canada, we're pathetic when it comes to uh, tipping. And we say, oh, you know, they don't need it. Uh, uh, they get a pretty good salary. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they've got needs. Needs. Maybe they have to take this as a second job to help keep, you know, bills paid or something at home. But you won't go wrong by uh, leaving a decent tip. And, uh, you know, a decent tip, I think 15% is a place to begin. I know there are people that say, what, 15%? God only gets 10%. Why should I give 15%? We're only talking a difference of another dollar or two dollars or something like that. But the the impact it makes. And also, by the way, if you leave a, a tip of 15 or 20 percent, boy, you can leave a gospel tract with that. Whereas if you leave, you know, a nickel under a glass of water, you don't leave a Christian tract with that. That's a bad testimony. You can afford to be generous. Did you know that? You really can. You say, not me. I'm, I'm pretty tight. I'm on a very broken budget. I was going to say a fixed budget, but you know, for me, it's broken budget. I, I don't have much money. I can't afford to. Yes, you can, because God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Give, and it shall be what? Given unto you, right. So, you know, if you want God to be stingy with you, if you want people to be stingy with you, you just be stingy back to them. But be generous with God, be generous with people. Like that's showing hospitality. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now that's not exactly the quote of the Bible, but I think it's pretty well known. Uh, and also, of course, at church. You come to church and there's, oh, stranger there. Oh, uh, let someone else shake their hand. Let someone else go up to them. No, you be that someone. 
you be the one to go up and say, oh, are you new here? Is your first time here? And they may say, no, I've been here before. Oh, I see. You know, I greet people all the time. You know that. Sometimes when I uh, greet someone, I say, it's your first time here? No, I've been here. I was here last year. And so what I do is I say, oh, I'm so sorry. I've forgotten you. We had a lady come on Sunday, and she hasn't been here for at least a year. She only came a few times, and then she's gone for a year or more. And I forgot her name. And so uh, anyhow, she came in, and uh, I recognized her. And I said, it's so good to see you, but I'm sorry I forgot your name. What's your name again? And she told me her name. I said, oh, I said to her, you're right. That's, that is your name. <laughs> I said, right you are. And uh, then you have to say the name over a few times right in your head. Otherwise, it can drain out the ear somehow. I'm not sure how that works, but it does. So anyhow, uh, be, be hospitable when people come to church. Show yourself. So in every aspect of life, you can show yourself hospitable. And I think this is the essence of what he's getting at when he says to uh, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Now, the key is learning to show Christian love to strangers. This is under this first admonition of being careful to maintain Christian love. Look at verse 2 again. Be not, caref- be, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Boy, that sounds fun, doesn't it? That sounds exciting. Uh, just think, maybe you've shaken the hand of an angel, or you probably haven't. <laughs> um, probably the... Um, uh, well, apparently, according to this, if we take it at face value, yes, indeed, angels can take on human form. Uh, we're not going to deny that. And in fact, perhaps the best illustration is back in Genesis chapter maybe 19 or 18 and 19, but it's when um, the angels came to visit Lot and they looked like two strangers. But Lot somehow knew that these were no ordinary strangers. And he jumped up and ran and greeted them and he entertained them. Come into my home. We'll stay in the street. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that. This is Surrey. You can't do that. I mean, this is Lot. You, you, uh, uh, Sodom. I'll get to it eventually. Uh, you, but whatever it is, you got you to get off the street at night. And of course, it was a wicked, cruel place, wasn't it? Um, so anyhow, um, that may be uh, one of the best illustrations of uh, someone entertaining angels. But I think that Paul gave us these words here, thereby some have entertained angels unaware, which is true, but I'm wondering if Paul didn't give us these words also to encourage us to be on our best behavior because you just never know. You see? It's like the coming of the Lord. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. If you knew for sure, for sure, somehow in the Bible it says Jesus is not coming back until uh, 2075. You say, 2075? Man, that's a forever away. I'll be long gone and dead. Oh well, I may as well just live it up. But the Bible says it's imminent. He could come back at any moment. It's not dependent on anything. Well, we have to get these several Bible prophecies fulfilled before Jesus comes back. No, we don't. He can come back at any moment. It's not dependent upon these different Bible prophecies that have to be fulfilled. He could come back tonight. And because of that, that's why the Bible says if we live our lives in the light of his coming, you see, he that hath this, this hope in him purifieth himself. We'll live pure lives. Oh, the Lord may come back tonight. I don't want to get involved with the world. I, I want to live right. I want to be close to the Lord. He might come back Sunday morning, so I better be in church Sunday morning. He might come back Sunday night, so I better be in church Sunday night. He might come back Wednesday night. I better be in church Wednesday night. He might be here Saturday morning during visitation. <clears throat> Just a, just a thought there. But anyhow, um, I was thinking about this and I thought that uh, we may never get to entertain an angel. That's just the truth of it, right? All those people that you thought were kind of weird, maybe they were just weird. Maybe they, ju- they weren't angels at all. Maybe none of us here have ever to date ever entertained an actual angelic being. However, I have another thought here. Maybe an equally good incentive. Because I'm suggesting that when he... He didn't have to put these words in. He could have just put the the period right after the word strangers. But he continued on and he says, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And that's like an incentive, an encouragement. Oh, wow, is that so? Well, yeah, I'm going to watch out for strangers. I'm going to be nice to them. You never know, right? That's what some people say about the lotto, winning the lotto. Can't win without a ticket, you know. I know the odds are against me, but you never know. That's, that's how they say it. And so here, um, 
You never know, I may entertain an angel, but chances are you won't. However, here's another thought. I think it's equally as good. Uh, an equally good incentive might be this. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have led souls to Christ. Now that's a good incentive too. Be real kind to uh, that stranger, because you never know, he may ask you, what must I do to be saved? You see? I know a man, he's a preacher. Um, he's down in, uh, uh, in uh, Oregon. And I learned something from him many years ago. I heard him preaching. And he said, I have to be careful how I treat the people in my town, uh, strangers in my town. I have to be careful how I treat them. Even if they're rude to me, I have to be careful how I treat them because you never know. That might be the next soul I lead to Christ. And so it's, it's just something to keep in mind, right? That person you hold the door open for, they may be so impressed, they may just stop and say, thank you, what makes you so different? Ho, 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 beloved. Make sure you carry gospel tracts, because you never know. If you, uh, if you don't carry gospel tracts, you'll wish you had. If you do carry gospel tracts, you'll be glad you did. And you may not get to hand out a gospel tract every day, but it's going to come. It's going to pop up an opportunity to be able to say, well, can I give you this to read? And uh, it, it talks about heaven. It's really good. So carry gospel tracts with you. That's important. So it's important here that we entertain strangers. And as I say, a good incentive would be, be not forgetful to entertain these strangers, for thereby some have led souls to Christ. And I believe that many people have helped so-called strangers come to Christ. We've got examples of it in the Bible. Now, I remember a, a friend of mine, um, his name was Dave Warner, and uh, I, I guess he was uh, maybe a couple of years older than me, maybe one or two years, but back in the 1970s is when I met him. And I heard his testimony Tonight we're going to hear a Christian testimony. And I heard his testimony. He shared that, I guess, when we were in the youth group. And uh, he told how he got saved. And um, at one key point in his life, um, he was working in a retail store. He was in the back, kind of on his knees, doing something. And he said, this, this guy walked in the store. And, the, and there was a young guy, and the guy had long hair. And walked right in the store didn't talk to anyone, went right to the back, to the back row where he was, turned, and there was Dave kind of on his knees doing some work, and he looked at Dave right in the eye, and he said to him, Jesus died for you. And he turned and he walked out. He never saw that guy again, you know, in his life. The guy came in that once, said those words, for who knows whatever reason, and then left. But those words got into his heart, and it wasn't long after Dave got saved. Boy, I wonder if that was a long-haired angel. Probably not, but you see, the thing is, uh, be careful how you treat strangers, because uh, thereby you, you can definitely witness to them. Now, here's another thought for you concerning these angels. Um, in the book of Revelation, you've got the pastors of seven churches, and they're all called what? Angels, right. And so here's a passing thought. Um, entertaining angels unawares might also refer to being a blessing to a pastor and not knowing he's a pastor. How about that? When you bless God's man, it pleases God so much, he blesses you back. It's like if you were to be a blessing to one of my children or one of my grandchildren, you know what that would do for me. You know, I would just feel so great about that. And you're the same if you're a parent. If someone does something nice, uh, kind of out of the blue, does something nice for your son or your daughter, boy, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. So we need to move on here, but we're talking about being careful to maintain Christian love. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for some thereby, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Verse 3 now. Remember them that are in bonds, 
That's like chains or prison or jail, as bound with them. So here's something else that we're told not to forget. Boy, there's a couple of things if you're going to live for Jesus, a couple of things you can't afford to forget. Here's one of them. And there are some Christians in prison for their faith. Paul was one of them. He spent time in prison. He knew what the inside of a jail cell looked like. Uh, he goes on and he writes, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Now, along with the Christians in prison, of which there are still Christians in prison today. Did you know that? Sure you did. Along with them, we're told to remember Christians that suffer adversity. And adversity basically means opposition or hardship or affliction, if you will. That's the idea of adversity. Now, this would include Christians who are sick and can't get out to church. How about that? We're told here not to forget them. We're told here to remember them. And if we're going to show love to a stranger, shouldn't we show love to our own who are sick and shut in? Amen? I think it only makes sense. I think this includes all the Christians that, are, that can't get to church because they're sick. Calling them and visiting them, I think, is a wonderful way to show Christian love. If we're going to be careful to maintain Christian love and let brotherly love continue, they say the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. Right. So we really need to practice Christ's love one upon another. And when someone is sick, we ought to um, sympathize with them. We ought not to say, oh, you fool, you dummy, it serves you right. Even if it was their fault. We ought to gather around them and show them our love. Uh, maybe they did something they shouldn't and now they're suffering for it. Well, it's not our job to go to them and say, told you so, told you so, you should listen to me. Oh, you're a fool now. Oh, you big dummy. That's the worst, worst, worst thing that you could do to any human being. You need to show them Christ's love. That's what they need. Someone once said, these choice words of wisdom. I love these words of wisdom. I just wish I had come up with it. I wish I had said it. But second best is to repeat them, right? Repeating what someone says is the sincerest form of flattery. Anyhow, they say this, that when you really lay an egg, you don't need someone to tell you about it. You know. You put your foot in it, you know. Uh, you laid an egg. You know it. But what you do need is someone to put their arm around you. That's what you need. And that's where Christ's love come in. Now that doesn't mean that every sickness in a Christian is because of some sin. Far from it. I don't think it's all that common where we get directly sick because of our sin. It does happen, but I think most of the time it happens because it's God's will. It's, you know, God says, okay, time for you to have the flu. <laughs> okay, time for you to, you know, catch your finger in the car door. But what? <laughs> it's a good thing we don't know these things in advance, right? But it's through those sicknesses and pains and afflictions and maladies and all that list, shopping list of miserable stuff. It's through those things that God builds patience and godliness and prayer in us and sometimes slows us down. Sometimes us men, we're men in a hurry, you know, and God's got to slow us down a little bit. That's why I think in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down. And he knows what he's doing. Anyhow, if you know of a Christian in this church who is uh, uh, suffering or in need of prayer, then you need to pray for them and you need to show them, you know, the sympathizing tear. Uh, that, that's what the, the words are in the, uh, the hymn. Um, what's the name of that hymn? I'll think of it later. Don't worry. If you think of it, you can put up your hand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Um, so we're to remember them that are in bound and bonds as, um, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Uh, make sure that you call them, visit them, show Christian love. Hey, here's a thought. Did you know eventually we're all going to be in that boat? Did you know that? You may be here and be as healthy as a horse, fit as a fiddle, but tomorrow may be your turn, you see? So how do you know that? Because I read 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Right. 
That doesn't necessarily mean sickness, but sometimes it does. And so if you're going to be a godly Christian, at some point you're going to suffer. And your suffering may be heavy duty. And what you'll need more than anything else is a few Christians that will come around you and visit with you and pray with you and uh, um, support you in daily prayer and encourage you. So uh, Proverbs 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. How about that? A brother is born for adversity. uh, And them which suffer adversity. That's what the scripture says here. Okay, let's move on uh, to uh, verse 4. It's the last verse we're going to look at here in this first admonition. To be careful to maintain Christian love. It may seem a little odd at first, but I think you'll clue in in just a moment. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Now, this is the uh, intimacy of Christian love between an eligible man and an eligible woman. God invented and designed the act of sex to be performed by a married couple and not shared with anyone else. It's very exclusive, but not in Canada. Here in Canada, we've just torn up the Bible and the Ten Commandments and everything that's holy. Uh, We are the weirdos who believe that. These days, living together and free sex, they're as normal, as normal, as normal can be. They are the norm. And waiting for marriage is considered abnormal. Uh, Almost to the point, it's almost getting to the point where uh, they would suspect us of psychiatric trouble. Chemical imbalances in our brain. If we should decide, no, I'm going to keep myself pure, uh, and and I want to get married, and I want to share with my life partner, my my husband or my wife. And they would look upon that as, uh, what's wrong with you? Boy, it's people like you that are causing us all the trouble in this world. Grab them. Let's try electroshock and and, and chemicals. See if we can straighten them out and make them more like us. Ah, the world's going the wrong way. But I'll tell you, God still honors those who wait. He does, He does. And He still judges those who do not wait. Uh, the sexual diseases are not primarily shared by uh, heterosexual pure couples. They're shared by people who mess things up and do kinky things and do things outside of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the bonds of marriage. <clears throat> God says here in the next verse, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And before we go any further, let's just take a look back at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Go back there a few pages. Boy, those Galatians, uh, the Christians, the churches in the uh, area of Galatia, they got messed up by the Judaizers who were trying to mix law and grace. And the book of Galatians was written to those Christians in those churches in that area of Galatia to help straighten them out. We're not under law, we're under grace. And we find that comes out again and again in the book of Hebrews. Now chapter 6 and verse 7 is another one of those verses I want you to read out loud with me now, please. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now that applies to the saved and the unsaved. That applies to men and to women. It applies to young and old. It applies to people in first world countries, second world and third world countries. It applies to people born and died thousands and thousands of years ago and people who are yet to be born and yet to die. It applies to all human beings. God is not mocked. God knows everything. He sees everything. Nothing can be hidden from him. And there are certain sins that he will judge in this life. And I think sexual sins are one of those. Um, I'm not a great authority on all of the diseases, the VD and all those um, STDs and things like that. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, a medical authority on those things. But I find it very, very peculiar that the ones who share in those things are the promiscuous ones, the ones who want to sin and get away with it. Whereas uh, amongst the uh, heterosexual, the pure couples, you don't seem to find that. Now, there might be some freakish 
accident, but uh, as a rule of thumb, it's not found. Back in the 80s, when they first discovered AIDS, it wasn't called AIDS. It was called GRID. That's what they called it back in the 80s. Gay-related immune deficiency, GRID. But that's not politically correct, is it? Because that's taking that disease and branding the gays with it. And they're saying, no, no, that's not right. And yet there are studies found that like 80% of the men that had AIDS were gay. So they called it GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. So it didn't take them too many years to change that, right? They changed that over now to AIDS. Boy, things get changed a lot. The world has this uh, uneasy feeling about sin. And so they change words and terms and things. Um, yeah, Pastor Tim and I were talking for a few moments about that uh, tonight before service and how the world talks about terminating a pregnancy, right? They don't say killing a baby. They wouldn't call it that because, oh, you don't do that. That sounds wrong, morally wrong. It's sinful. But terminating a pregnancy, well, that sounds very antiseptic. But yet, right? Anyhow, we're not here to talk about that. But did you know that this week, Trinity Western University, just right up the road here, famous Trinity Western University, it's known around the world. We've had some of its students here in our, our church, excellent young people, but they attract young people from different parts of the world. Trinity University has bowed to the pressure of the world this week, and it announced that it has removed a requirement that students sign a community covenant that includes a pledge to abstain from sex outside of heterosexual marriage. They've removed that. This also includes a ban on gay sex. They've removed that. Apparently, this pledge uh, is what derailed their plans for a law school a couple years ago. They couldn't get, uh, I mean, it went right to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled against them. And they were not allowed to be able to uh, uh, grant a degree, a recognizable degree. They couldn't do it because of that pledge. Now, all of a sudden, oh, the pledge is gone. Interesting. Now, the college, the, the university, Western said, Trinity said, uh, well, we're not, uh, th this has nothing to do with, uh, you know, the, the law school. It's not on the table at this moment. But you know, common sense is telling you, you know, they give it a year, they're going to try their kick at the can again. They're going to try and get that law school going again. It's funny how you have to lower your standards to be accepted by this world. If lowering our standards is what is required to be accepted by this world, then I don't want to be accepted by this world. And I'll have you know that the Lord can meet my needs just fine. Thank you very much. We don't have to bark like the world and growl like the world and commit these things like the world. We don't have to do that. We can maintain Christ in our lives. Say, but they'll fire me. When I was in Bible college... The, uh, the president of the Bible college, uh, before he was president of our Bible college, he was pastoring a church down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when he was there, he had a young man in his church. The young man was going through college at the time, and he had a job working the night shift at the hotel. Now, the hotel served liquor, but it was closed for the night shift. They would close the bar at 11 o'clock or something like that, and his shift would start at 11 or start at 12, and he'd work through till 8, whatever, and had no problem. He never had to, to have anything to do with alcohol. But then the hotel got sold and bought, new management, and the new owners came in, and they said, okay, we're going to make a few changes here. They got all the employees together. They said, we're going to make a few changes here. And from now on, we're going to keep the bar open 24 hours. And if any of the hotel guests want uh, liquor, then it'll be uh, your job to uh, supply that. At that meeting, the young man was there and he raised his hand. He says, sir, I'm not able to do that. I'm a Christian. Right away, the new owners said, okay, you're fired. And he just fired him like that. They brought in a, a, a new man, a new young guy. Uh, this young fellow was devastated. And so he called up his pastor, who later was the president of my Bible college, and he, he said to him, Pastor, what, what am I going to do? I, I needed that job. I got, I got bills to pay. And his pastor told him, don't you worry. God will supply. 
He'll look after you. You just keep your eyes on Jesus. And the young guy said, okay, I'll do my best. And sure enough, God supplied another job for him. But it was like maybe two weeks later that uh, the pastor was in his office with a newspaper and the headlines, uh, night clerk shot and killed in hotel. And he couldn't believe it. Just then the phone rang and the pastor picked it up. It was the young man. And the pastor said to him, uh, he said, I was just about to call you. And yes, I've read the headlines. I got it right here in front of me. Apparently what happened was in the middle of the night, one, two in the morning, whatever, this guy came in, a nervous guy, and he had a gun. And there was just the two. There was a young man that took his job, the new young man. And then there was a girl working on the desk, just the two employees. The guy came in with a gun. He was real nervous. And he said, I'll give me the money. They said, take it. Uh, here it is in the drawer. And they, get, they gave it to him. Then he said, uh, get on the floor, both of you. And they got on the floor. And he went to, to leave. But for some reason, he stopped and turned and came back. And he pointed the gun at the young man's head and killed him. Bang, bang, killed him. And the pastor said, that was God's way. Your conviction of what is right and wrong and by sticking by your conviction was God's way of protecting you because that would have been you. Now that's not an isolated case. God has protected his people simply by saying, stick to my standard. Doesn't matter what the world says or does, I'll protect you through this. And I think that's what we've got an example of. Now, an adulterer, it says, whoremongers and adulterers, an adulterer is someone who has sexual relations with another man's wife. The, the, the key in the difference between the terms goes back to the lady. Is she single? Is she married? If she's married, then she would be an adulteress. Anyone who has um, sex with her would be an adulterer. Now, the word whoremonger is a composition of two words. The first is whore, which is a prostitute. The second is monger, which means uh, to deal in or to traffic in. So technically a whoremonger is someone that deals in the business of prostituting whores. They still use the expression a fishmonger uh, in England at least anyhow. And a fishmonger, it's a reputable job. His uh, job, he buys and sells fish. He's in the fish market. He's known as a fishmonger. A whoremonger would be someone like a pimp. Someone now would be like this would be very well known in the Roman Empire in Paul's day because uh, they, they had these houses of, uh, of prostitution. And the term fornication, this sounds strange, I know, but the term fornication uh, comes from a Latin word that talks about a vaulted ceiling, fornicatio. It's a, a vaulting of the ceiling. And you say, how in the world, what does that mean? How is that connected with the illicit sexual activity? It's because they would hold their brothels in these rooms with these vaulted ceilings. A lot of times the, the brothels would have deep red, I mean today, more modern, the brothels would have deep red wallpaper, they'd have red lights, they'd have things like that, that kind of, you know, look like a, we call it a red light district. Um, and we'd say, ooh, you know, that's a red light district, you know, you stay away from that. Well, back in the Roman Empire, uh, being a whoremonger and owning a bunch of prostitute slaves, because that's what they were, young girls you'd buy in the market and you'd use them in your business, and men would come in and, and have fornication with, a, with a, a, a prostitute slave. And the term fornication, it became, well, the sexual act became synonymous with this vaulted ceiling, and that's where the word comes from, folks. Uh, fornication, and the idea is the sexual act with a, a young unmarried. So a whoremonger can be uh, actually one of two things. Um, it can refer to the person, man or woman, that deals in the business of prostituting whores, or it can refer to someone who actually practices the, whore, the, the, the whoredom. And uh, of course, this is known to us as the sin of fornication. So sexual sins are wrong in God's sight. Uh, and God as a judge will judge the offenders. Now here's my point, And we're going to wrap it up here. Is that we're dealing with Paul's first admonition to maintain Christian love.
God has called us as Christians to be careful about our Christian love and Christian love will not do these sins. That's the point. If you really love someone, uh, if you really love someone, you're going to want to do what's best for that person because the essence behind love is giving, giving of yourself, giving whatever needs to be given. When you love someone, when you love your child, you're going to give of your time and your talents, your treasures, and it's not going to stop because you're going to love your child all your life. And so we are to be careful to maintain Christian love. And Christian love will not get involved with uh, whoremongering or with adultery. It won't do that. Christian love will maintain purity, a husband and wife and a wife and husband. Uh, Christian love will maintain purity before marriage. There's not going to be lust. There's going to be Christian love. So we have to finish here. Chapter 13 begins the end of this great epistle uh, to the Hebrews. And Paul gives us the first of his four admonitions, which is being careful in Christian love. And true Christian love needs to be encouraged to continue in all aspects of our lives. Certainly for strangers. Um, people we don't know. And for sure it must be extended to Christians in prison and suffering Christians. But again, true Christian love will keep itself pure from lust. Now, we're called to live lives of Christian love toward each other. But the devil is going to try and stop that from happening. I mentioned this at the beginning. How will he do that? Well, one way is he's going to get us living fast-paced, frenetic, frantic, frustrating lives where we're stressed out and we'll forget to show Christian love. Now, the antidote is take time to be holy. Every day, determine, and you've got to make the sacrifice, determine to draw nigh to God every morning, and he will draw nigh to you. Get alone with God in your prayer closet. You see, it's only then, really, that the Holy Spirit can fill our hearts. And the, if you read Galatians chapter 5, what is the very first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Yeah. So it's Christ's love through us. Now, Satan's second trick to stop us from loving is to use offenses. Perhaps it's happened to you. Maybe someone's offended you, someone at church, or some Christian some other place, or maybe just opening a door for someone and they just walk right through and never say thank you. That's happened to me. That's kind of a nasty thing, isn't it? But it happens. And so what do you do? What's, what's the answer here? We must give our offenses over to God continually, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. You do this by faith, not by feeling. By faith. We're to pray for them by faith. You know, you don't feel like praying for them. Say, oh boy, they offended me. Pray for them by faith. Pray for them which despitefully use you and return blessing for their cursing. Now, I read a story about a lady in Spain who made the news when she chose a unique way to test her husband's love. I would not recommend this, but this is what she did. With the help of a friend, she manipulated her own kidnapping. And then she sent a ransom notice to her husband. The police discovered that the kidnapping was a hoax. And they asked the lady, why in the world... Did you do this? And she said, I wanted to find out what my husband would do for me. So it's an interesting uh, approach, isn't it? Interesting question. I don't know what the husband did in that case. But I do know this. Our Lord Jesus often tests us. And he will test our love for him by sending us strangers. See what we're going to do. He'll test our love for him uh, by letting us know of Christians who are going through affliction. And listen, there's times where we may even find ourselves tempted. And through these things, the Lord is testing us. And through it all, you and I, we need to show our love for the Lord by showing his love to others. So here's the first of the last four admonitions. Be careful to maintain Christian love. Let's pray now.